Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. That's where we're going to be today in God's Word. We're also going to be in Romans chapter 12, so uh, you'll be right there real close. Uh, We've been in this series called Set Your Mind. That's what we started back on January 1st. And if you'll remember, back on January 1st, we looked at a young man named Daniel. Uh, We looked at his prayer life. He is a prayer warrior. Uh, When you look at God's Word, that was a man who prayed and he believed that God was listening and he believed that God would move. Uh, He wasn't trying to get God on his page. He wanted to be on God's page. And so I love looking at the life of Daniel. Uh, The Bible tells us that Daniel, in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel set his mind. He set his mind to gain understanding from God and to humble himself before God. And it not only made an impact upon himself, but it made an impact upon the Jews, the Gentiles, upon kings and kingdoms because he set his mind on things above. He set his mind on God's ways and on God's word. God flowed to him and God flowed through him. He made an eternal impact upon many many people. And I'm going to tell you something. What God did in the book of Daniel, God can still do and God still does today. Don't think when we read Old Testament scripture, oh, but that was the God then. God is the same today. He is the same always. And so God hasn't changed at all. What God did for Daniel, God can do for me and God can do for you. Last week we looked at Paul. Paul uh, sent a very encouraging word to the church at Coloss. And when Paul challenged them, he challenged them to set their hearts and their minds on things above. He wanted them to choose, to make a choice, just like Daniel made a choice. Paul wanted the church at Coloss to make a choice to think about God's Word, to think about God's ways, and then act upon it, to act upon God's Word and God's ways. I told you last week this truth, and I want to tell you again. I want you to see it uh, on the screen. Setting our hearts and our minds on things above, it means to think about Jesus and then to live like Jesus right here, right now on earth. It doesn't mean that we live with our heads in the clouds thinking, oh Jesus, come rescue us. Oh Jesus, come now, come now. And we've just got our eyes on heaven and we miss what God wants us to do right here, right now. we got to be careful. Listen to me. I pray like my Aunt Nancy prayed. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I pray that. I'm ready for Jesus to come back. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to live with my heads looking up in the clouds and miss what I'm supposed to do right here and right now with the Jesus, with the Spirit that lives in me. How many people might not hear the gospel or see the gospel because we're too busy in la-la land? We need to pay attention to what God wants us to do right here, right now. Pay attention to the people God puts in front of us right here, right now. We can think about Jesus. We can think about things above But we have got to act upon those things right here, right now. And I'm going to tell you, that's impossible to do in and of myself. You ever tried? In and of yourself, your own power, your own train of thought, it's impossible. I'm going to tell you, I need God. I need Him desperately every day. 
I need the Holy Spirit stirring me and moving me. I'm going to tell you what else. I need to pray. I need to pray every day. And I need to pray more than this little two-minute prayer in the morning and think, oh, that's going to get me throughout the day. No, I need to pray continuously. Go look at the life of Daniel. That young man prayed continuously. I don't know about you, but it is not quite as hard for me to think about Jesus as it is to live like Jesus. Anybody else? Huh? I don't find it very difficult for me to think about Jesus. What I find very difficult is to live like Jesus. You want to know why? Because people make me mad. Sometimes I make myself mad. Sometimes I'm just mad and it ain't nobody's fault. You see, I I don't have near the problem thinking about Jesus as I do living like Jesus. It reminds me of an old joke I heard one time. I'll share it with you. Uh, There was a mom, and she was making breakfast for her two little boys. Ryan was five years old, and Kevin was three. And those two little boys, like most little boys, started arguing over who was going to get the first pancake. Kind of reminds me of our Sunday evening meals. Good Christian brothers and sisters, who's going to get to that table first? Who's going to get to that counter first? Well, anyway, those little boys were arguing who was going to get the first pancake. So mama looked at them and said, you know what? I'm going to teach these boys a lesson. I'm going to, I, I got a perfect opportunity to teach them a lesson. So here's what mama said. She said, boys, if Jesus was here right now, you know what he would do? He would let his brother have the first pancake. So Ryan, the five-year-old, looked over at his little brother, Kevin, three years old, and this is what he said, okay, you be Jesus today. (laughs) It wasn't hard to think about Jesus, but it sure was hard to be like Jesus, wasn't it? How many of you have been there before, right? How many of you have been there already today, right? I I mean, I need help. And I'm going to tell you, when it comes to the Scripture. When it comes to just thinking about Jesus, but especially when it comes to living like Jesus, we need help. We need God's help to set our mind on things above. Let me just tell you, we need God. Anybody here desperate for God today? I'm going to tell you, if everybody don't raise a heart or raise a hand, you're crazy. I don't mind saying that. We need God. I am desperate for God Every day in my life, I'm desperate for God in my relationship with my wife, with my kids. I'm desperate for God in my relationship with you, my church family. Because I can't be right with you unless I'm right with God. It's not possible. Not going to happen. So I need God's help. God, help me to set my mind on your word, on your ways, on things above so that I can not just think about Jesus, but live like Jesus right here, right now. I believe that's what Paul was saying to the church in Rome. Uh, The book of Romans is an incredible book of the Bible. Romans chapter 8 is probably one of the most important chapters in the Bible. So much spiritual truth. So much spiritual truth that we need to understand and so much spiritual truth that we need to live out loud. So that's where I am today. Romans chapter 8. And I'm just going to read a brief passage from here and then we're going to look at Romans chapter 12 where it is fleshed out. So Romans chapter 8, 
I want to read this passage, verses 5 through 11 to you. The Bible says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on things, right? Of what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit, they have their minds, what? Set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. I want to read that verse one more time. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Oh, you can pretty it up. Put your coat on. Put your best clothes on. You can put your big smile on. You can wear your badge. You can say, hey, brother, hey, sister. You can do all of that. But if you are operating in the mind of flesh and in the realm of the flesh, guess what? None of it matters to God. You cannot please God. Oh, you might please man for about this long. But you can't please God. Not in the realm of the flesh. Paul, he's talking to Christ followers, and here's what he says in verse 9. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death, Because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. What a powerful word from God. I believe what we see in this passage of Scripture, number one, the way we live... The way we live is a result of the way we think. Do you hear that? The way we live is a result of the way we think. I told you last week what Dr. Tony Evans says. Dr. Tony Evans says actions originate in the thinking. Actions originate in the thinking. See, I just moved to my left. Wonder why? Because my mind was telling me, take a step away from the pulpit. And it told me to step. You see that? Actions originate in the thinking. See, I was standing over here just that, in that moment when I'm talking to you, and my mind was telling me, get back to your notes. Guess where my notes are? To my right. So guess where my feet went? To my right. You want to know why? Because actions originate in your thinking. He also says, Dr. Tony Evans says, if we have a problem with our feet, with the way we walk, the problem is not our feet. The problem is our mind. And Paul makes it very clear in this passage that the way we live is in direct correlation to the way we think. The realm we give our mind to is the realm that our feet will walk in. And he makes it very clear, and I made this very clear back on January 1st. We're going to act in one of two ways. We're going to act in a heavenly way or we're going to act in an earthly way. There is no middle. Every choice you make, it is either heavenly perspective or earthly perspective. 
Every choice we make, it's one of the two. There is no middle ground. Paul makes it clear. The way we live is a direct correlation to the way we think. He also makes it very clear that the mind that is set on the flesh, do you know what that means? That means earthly. That means worldly. The mind set on flesh, he says there's one destination. What destination is that? Death. The mind set on flesh leads to death. This is the result of a mind allowing the world to govern its mind. So if we choose to listen to the world, if we choose to believe the ways of the world, and then if we choose to apply, right? If we choose to act upon what we learn in the world, Paul makes it very clear. The destination is death. A worldly perspective, an earthly perspective, a fleshly perspective, it leads to death. But then he gives us the counter argument. And he says the mind set on the spirit. What does that mean? That means heavenly. That means things above. That means God's word, God's ways. The mind set on the spirit, what does it lead to? He said there's two destinations. What are they? Life and what else? Peace. Thank you for the two people that listened. The mind set on the spirit leads to life and peace. So Paul says if we die to self, If we reject, right, reject the worldly perspective, the worldly ways, and we embrace the Spirit of God in our lives, if we embrace the heavenly perspective, then this is a promise. God makes a promise to us that we will have life and we will have peace. We will have life and we will have peace. What does Jesus say about our enemy? He came to do what? Still kill and destroy. In the same breath, in the same statement, what did Jesus say? I have come that you may have what? Life. What kind of life? Abundant life. Full life. If you read the Gospel of John, he talks about life right here and right now, but he also talks about what? Eternal life. Life that never ends. Even though these bodies, right? Even though these bodies might fall apart and eventually be put in the ground, Jesus said, If you die to self, you will live in me and I will live in you. You will have life full. You will have life eternal. I read a quote one time about peace. I think about peace. How many of you love peace? No wonder we have so much trouble in our world because only about half of you raised your hand. See, I'm all about participation. If you hadn't learned me by now, look, I've been doing this now, what, like 12 years? I like, I like interaction, so please help me. How many of you love peace? All right, good. That's much better, all right? Because now we can go against all those who didn't raise their hand. I got something to fight with, right? Yeah, listen, I love peace. And peace for me in this world means no trouble. That's what it means to me in this world, right? But here's the thing. I don't want to think like the world thinks. I want to put my mind on things above. So I read this quote, and I love it. Listen to this. Peace does not mean to be in a place where there is no noise, no trouble, or no hard work. Rather, it means as a Christ follower to be in the midst of those things and still be calm in your heart because of the presence of God. 
the presence of God. That is my peace. That is why I can preach a funeral on Thursday and a wedding on Saturday and be calm in my heart in both situations. Not be on this emotional high or this emotional low. Don't get me wrong. Those things happen. But that emotional high and that emotional low does not disturb my peace because my peace comes from God, not people. My peace comes from God, not my circumstances. Now, again, remember what I said. I don't have near as much trouble thinking about that kind of thing as much as I do living it out. I need God. I need God to show me that and remind me of that every day. I think about the presence of God, right? So many times when I pray, you know what I want? I want the presence of God. P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. The gifts. When what I really should be praying for is the presence of God. P-R-E, right? S-E-N-C-E. His relationship. The Bible tells us, Paul tells us right here in Romans chapter 8, that we're going to submit. Do you see it? We're going to submit. We will either submit our minds to God or we will submit our minds to the world. And guess what? We will live or die accordingly. We're going to submit. You might say, well, i got a problem with submission. Well, guess what? You submit whether you want to or not. You submit to your flesh or you submit to the Spirit. Every day, every choice. I do it too. And you know what? We do it all day long. We never stop submitting all day long. I remember watching a movie one time. Uh, Russell Crowe was in it. It's called Gladiator. And Russell, you know, Russell Crowe was this guy named Maximus Decimus Meridius. I mean, he was the biggest, baddest dude on earth. He could whip anybody, right? Um, but even he was humbled. Even he was humbled. You might think you're big and bad, and you can do it all on your own. But I'm going to tell you what, you submitting. You submitting right now. You submitting to an earthly mindset or a heavenly mindset. And you will act accordingly. You will live or you will die accordingly. You remember back in Daniel, I told you this. I know we focused on Daniel chapter 10, but I made you go backwards. And in Daniel chapter 1, do you remember what it said in verse 8? Very important. It said Daniel resolved. You remember that? He resolved. You know what that means? That means he made his mind up right then. He was 14 or 15 years old, is what theologians tell us, when he was taken from Jerusalem and into Babylon. But as a 14, 15-year-old young man, he made his mind up that that day and every day moving forward, he would already decide who he was, whose he was, and why he was. It says he resolved not to defile himself with the ways of the world. And so then in Daniel chapter 10, the angel comes to him and says, Oh, Daniel, I know who you are, and you know who you are because you have already set your mind. That's what the angel said to him. You've already set your mind to gain understanding from God. You've already set your mind to humble yourself before God. That's why I'm here, because I'm going to give you a word, brother, and you're going to give that word to people, and you're going to be an encouragement. You're going to bring people to God. See how important it is to set your mind Right now? And don't say, oh, I'll make my mind up tomorrow or the next day or the next day. No, you'll make your mind up right now. You'll either set your mind on God or you'll set your mind on the world. And what you set your mind on is how you will respond. It's how you will act. 
Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit indwells us. Do you see that? The Holy Spirit in us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit gives us victory. And it doesn't just give us victory over death and, oh, we'll go to heaven one day. No, He gives us victory right here, right now. In life and in death, the Holy Spirit gives us victory. Even though these mortal bodies are subject to death, Paul makes that very clear. These mortal bodies, they're subject to death. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin. But he says through Jesus' life, through Jesus' death and His resurrection, right? We can repent of our sin, which means to turn from it. We can die to self. We can embrace. That means accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And when we are covered by His blood, we are bathed in His righteousness. When we are covered by His blood, we are bathed in His righteousness. Do you know that you and I, apart from God's grace found in Jesus Christ, we can't do nothing right. Do you understand that? We, can't, we, we have no righteousness apart from Jesus Christ. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can have righteousness, that we can live in righteousness. Dr. David Jeremiah explains it this way. I love what he says. Whew. He says, the Holy Spirit is our helper and our holiness as we refuse the patterns of our flesh. We put it to death. And here's what he says. The Holy Spirit inhabits us, verse 9. The Holy Spirit invigorates us, verse 10. And the Holy Spirit ensures us, verse 11. Every believer enabling us to live a victorious Christian life. Life. Don't tell me you can't live for Jesus. If Jesus is in you, you can. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't tell me you can't think about God's word and God's ways if you're a Christ follower. Because by the Holy Spirit in you, you can think about things above. You can set your mind on things above and you can act accordingly. Don't tell me you can't. If you tell me you can't, I'm going to say, do you really have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because if you do, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you. And I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit of God will direct you, guide you, lead you, light your path. The Word of God will do it. I, I love the book of Romans. Love it. As I was studying this passage, I found out, I was doing some study, and there's many biblical scholars and theologians, they, they really agree in this. They say that Paul uses uh, Romans 1 through 11, right, to tell the truth. To tell the truth about God and about Jesus Christ and about salvation. But they say that Paul uses Romans 12 through 16 to apply the truth, Right? So when you read the first 11 chapters, Paul's telling you the truth about God, telling you the truth about Jesus, telling you the truth about what Christian life looks like. And then when you read Romans 12 through 16, those chapters, Paul's saying, now here's what you do with it. Because it's one thing to hear the Word of God, and it's another thing to what? Do it. Where'd I get that from? James. Go read the letter of James. Don't just be what? Hearers of the Word, be doers. To set your mind on things above is not just to think about Jesus, it's to think about Jesus 
and live like Jesus. So now that we know the truth of the gospel in Romans chapter 8, I want to write a statement, okay, if you will. I want to write a statement that, 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 that Paul made in Romans chapter 8. I want to write it right into Romans chapter 12. Paul said that the mind governed by the flesh was not submitted to God, not submitted to God's law, God's word. So in other words, we will submit to or we will allow something or someone to exercise continuous control over us, to have authority over us. And you will either be governed by the word of God or you'll be governed by the world. And you might say, well, I govern myself. Well, guess what you're governed by? The world. You might say, well, the world ain't telling me what to do, but neither is God. Uh, Then you're governed by the world. You're thinking like the world. You're thinking in unrighteousness. You're thinking in darkness. And guess where that's going to lead you? To death. That's what God's Word says. That's not what Jeff says. That's what the Word of God says. You're either governed by the world or you're governed by God. It's your choice. So to be governed means to be controlled. It means to, to have authority over. So Paul says, you know what this is all about? It's about submission. It's about submitting. He said that in Romans 8. He's fixing to show us in Romans 12. It's about surrender. Surrender. How many of you love the old song, I surrender all? Ooh, I surrender all. Do you really? Why why do we sing that song if we haven't really surrendered all? Have you ever thought about it? I surrender all. Did you really? You surrendered your thoughts. You surrendered your gossip. You surrendered this. You surrendered that. You, you surrendered all. I, I'm, look, I'm asking you that question because that question was given to me by God when I was singing that song while I was running one day. Jeff, have you really? Oh, you sing it loud and you, I, I say I sing it pretty. You might not have heard it, but, but God says, did you really? Did you really surrender all? Listen to what surrender is. Let's look at what surrender is. Romans chapter 12, only the first three verses. Man, I could have kept going, but I want to get you to your gumbo as quick as I can. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, look at this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. What have we been talking about? We've been talking about setting our minds on things above. In other words, putting our focus on things above. Look at what Paul says. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, setting your mind on God's mercy, putting your focus on merciful God. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, now to do what? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true And proper worship. And then he says a do not. How many of you love do not statements? I don't. (laughs) Do not statements are are not my favorite. Please don't tell me what I can't do. Because as a little boy, I'll go, yes, I can. But Paul says do not. And it's a good thing. Look at what he says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? How? By the renewing of your mind. That is a progressive tense verb. That means not just five minutes today. That means all day. That means tomorrow and any other day that God gives you. 
be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, Paul says, I'm not telling you this because it's my good word. I'm telling you this because God gave it to me. God's grace. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Man, I could preach a series just on that. But I'm not going to chase that rabbit. I'm going to stay with I'm going to stay with what God gave me. First of all, because of God's mercy. Because of God's mercy, we should respond accordingly. We should choose to live how? One word. Sacrificially. When I put my eyes on merciful God, when I focus on the mercy that God gives me, has given me, is given me, and I know will give me, the only right response is to offer my body to Him. To be a living sacrifice. In view of means that we focus on it. We, we point ourselves to it. It directs us. Do you know what the word mercy means? Let, let, me, give you, let me give you Merriam-Webster's dictionary version. Mercy is compassion and forbearance shown especially to someone who offends. I'm going to be honest with you, that's a pretty good definition from a worldly perspective. I think somebody at Merriam-Webster went to the Bible and said, here's what mercy means. It means compassion or forbearance shown especially to someone who offends. I'm going to tell you what. I have offended God so many times because I've rejected His way and His word. And I did it my way in my time. I wanted God to get on my page instead of being on His. Yet God shows me mercy. What does that mean? That means He's compassionate. And He bears with me. And He forgives me. This is crazy, but Merriam-Webster goes on and gives a second definition of mercy. I say it's crazy, but I think God had a hand in it. Here's what it says. Mercy means a blessing that is an act of divine favor or compassion. So when our mind is set on things above, like God's mercy, our heart will point us and turn us in the right direction. And as Christ followers, it's about sacrificial living. That word sacrifice, you know what it means? I'll make it very simple. It's a big definition, but I'm going to chop it down to what it really means. Sacrifice means complete surrender. That's what it means. Complete surrender. That means you leave nothing out. Sacrifice means to give it all. I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I'm going to tell you like I told my church members Wednesday night. You can go ahead and start laughing if you were here Wednesday night because you know where I'm going. Dr. Tony Evans asked this question, how many of you like bacon and eggs for breakfast? Anybody like bacon and eggs for breakfast? That's a pretty good breakfast. I ain't even got to have a biscuit. You give me a pound of bacon and I'll, I'll chop through it, right? And I'll take some eggs while I'm at it. And you can scramble them, right? 
You can, you, can, you can hard fry them. You can soft fry them. You can boil them, right? But here's what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says it's the chicken who gives something to the breakfast. He makes a contribution. But it is the pig who sacrifices because he gives it up. Think about that for just a minute. The egg made a contribution to your breakfast, but the pig died so you could eat. Huh? And I know that's funny, but it's true. And I'm thankful for the pig sacrifice. Lots of pigs, because I've eaten a lot of bacon in my life. But here's the truth, right? When you look at it from a Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Listen to me. God's not looking for your contribution. God's not looking for your contribution. What does Paul say God wants? What does he want? He wants your heart. And how much of your heart? All of it. You know what God wants? God wants you to be the pig. He wants your sacrifice. We can sit here all day and talk about our contribution. Oh, I gave the offering, and oh, I taught Sunday school for 40 years, and oh, I've been a member of this church, and oh, I did this. Oh, I went to Nicaragua. Oh, I did all. You can talk about your contributions all day long. But how is that any different than some good organization in our world? Like a good organization that gives money to feed the homeless or a good organization that gives coats to cold people in the winter. How is that any different when you're talking about your contributions? Listen to me. God don't want your contributions. He wants you. He wants you. He wants the sacrifice. Because here's the thing. If he has you, if he has the sacrifice, guess what he's going to have? The contributions. And I'm going to tell you what. He'll multiply your contribution. He'll multiply it. He'll do things to you and through you and for people all over this world if you'll just die to yourself and give Him all of your heart. Paul says you need to be transformed. Listen to me. You can't transform yourself. I can't transform myself. How many of you have ever been on a diet before? Huh? How many diets have you tried? Right? How many times have you given up on your diet? Right? Here's the thing. You can't transform yourself and neither can I. Oh, we can do some good things. Oh, we can get it right for about this much time and then we take a break or we just mess it up and then we get back on. Listen to me. You can't be transformed by yourself. You need somebody to transform you. Paul says to be transformed means we submit to and we allow God to do what? Renew our minds continuously. If you want to be transformed, you have to wake up each day and set your mind on things above. You have to say, God, I need you. I am desperate for you. God, help my mind because where my mind is, my feet will go. If my mind is on the bitterness and the anger of someone who wronged me, I'm going to act out how? Bitterly. Angrily. But if I say, God, I forgive them just like you forgive me. Thank you, God, for your mercy. So today, God, I'm going to choose mercy. And since I'm choosing mercy in my mind, guess how how I got a good chance to respond to anything and anybody who hurts me with mercy? Actions originate in the thinking. The renewing of our minds 
Paul says it's only possible through God's grace. His last statement. He said, the only reason I can share this grace with you is because God gave me the grace. Do you know that anything we have, do you know that anything we do, it's only because of God's grace? Have you ever thought about that? Anything we have, anything we do, it's only by God's grace. And so our acts of sacrifice, this is what Paul is getting us to, our acts of sacrifice will actually lead to a lifestyle of serving God and serving others. Did you see verse 3? Did you see where he was getting to? The way of the world is, I'm going to take care of me. But the way of God is, I'm going to forget about me and take care of you. We saw, we saw an illustration of that at the beginning of this service when Noah brought Chris down to pray over him and to thank him. Thinking about others. Thinking about making sure they hear the gospel, see the gospel. Rather than sitting in a comfortable pew, rather than sitting there with nothing else, right, to worry about, sound, light. That's a perfect example of thinking about others instead of thinking about self. But I'm going to tell you, I need help. I need God. I need His grace. I need His mercy so that I can be a vessel of righteousness to a world of unrighteousness, so that I can be grace to someone who needs it, so that I can be mercy to someone that needs it, so that I can be love to someone that needs it. How many times do we look at somebody We look at somebody and say, I wonder what he did to get there. I wonder what she did to get there. How many times do we see somebody hurting, we see somebody fall in sin, and we go, well, he got what he deserved. Oh, she got what he deserved. How many many of you have ever said that in your mind? Okay, look, I ain't even got to ask you to raise your hand. You did it. Don't lie to me and tell me you ain't done that. Oh, yeah, you've done that, and I've done that. Now, we can go a step further. How many of you have said that with your mouth in church? Hmm? At the gas station, in the restaurant. How dare we look down on people? How dare we treat people with judgment and condemnation when God says, I have mercy on you. Now you go and have mercy on someone else. How dare we do that to people? God, forgive me. God, forgive me forever. Calling someone out because of their sin instead of showing them grace and mercy like you showed me today. I ain't even got to think about all the past times. God, just today you've shown me grace and mercy. How dare me look upon someone with judgment and condemnation and how dare the church do that to anybody? We are not better than anybody. No matter what they've done. And I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of watching people condemn and watching people judge, and I'm sick and tired of jumping in there and doing it too. Because that ain't God. That, that's not the life of Jesus Christ that I read in the Gospels. No, what I see is I see the man who said, I did not come to condemn the world, I came to save the world. I see the man that said, oh, all of you guys want to pick up a rock and stone this lady, even though the law says you have the right to do it. Here, let me, let me tell you what I would do. 
I, I would say let the one who is without sin be the first one to pick up a stone and throw it. You know the only one there who could do that? Jesus. Not one Pharisee or disciple who had the coats on and the long tassels, oh, and the pretty trim beards and the flowing hair and the pretty eyes and, oh, the posture's just right. They might have been carrying the scrolls with them. The only one there that day that had the right to really pick up a stone and throw it was Jesus. And guess what Jesus did? He put his hand on her and said, I love you. And after he loved on her, then he said, now go and sin no more. Why can't the church look like that? Why can't Jeff look like that? I'll tell you why. Because I have a hard time surrendering. I have a hard time being the pig. I'm too satisfied being a chicken. Lay an egg here, lay an egg there. I'll even paint it like we do at Easter. Make it look real pretty. It still does the same thing. We got too many chickens in the church and not enough pigs. I didn't borrow that from Tony Evans, so if that was ungodly, that's my fault. But it's the truth of my life. Stop being the chicken and be the pig, Jeff. Stop worrying about what he thinks or what she thinks. Oh, you're the pastor. Oh, you represent this. Oh, you portray that. No, you know what? I'm a Christ follower. That's who I am. I just happen to be the pastor. I just happen to be a church member. I'm a Christ follower first. And my first and should be only thought is what does Jesus think about what I'm saying and what I'm doing. And if you applaud or you don't, who cares? Three questions I want to ask you and I'll close. I've spent too much time already. Number one, have you really surrendered to Jesus? Have you really surrendered to Jesus? Or had you surrendered some program? Did you, did you surrender to some social network or some social club? Have you truly surrendered to Jesus? Number two, are you a living sacrifice unto God? Are you a living sacrifice unto God? Are you the pig or are you the chicken? Are you satisfied with writing a a check every month? Are you satisfied with being on this team for three years and then rotating off and staying off for a year and get you some good rest and, and then saying, oh, well, you know, I do. I, I can be on that team. Yeah, I'll be on that team. I don't want you, I don't want you plugged in on a team just because it's a, it's a thing to do. You know what I want? I want you to be surrendered to Jesus Christ and I want you to be a living sacrifice to God. And if it leads you to serve on this team or that team or write this check for that amount, so be it. Too many of us, we want the attention of man and the applause of man for what we've done. Rather than just saying, God, did I do today what you wanted me to do? God, are you, are you pleased? Someone asked me, someone asked me, here, matter of fact, it was at a wedding that I preached just this weekend. Someone said, who do you train with when you run? Like, who do you run with? I said, I run by myself. 
Because my wife won't run with me. I run by myself because Katie quits after a mile. <laughs> it, it shocked. It was a couple of my former basketball players. They, they thought I was at the MAC or on the track at OCS. They, they thought, how do you do that by yourself? Here, here it is, right? God's given me the ability. He's made me passionate about it, and I don't need anybody to clap for me. You know what? I'm thankful for some ladies who made some signs. I'm thankful for some ladies who showed up and said, go, Brother Jeff, go. I'm thankful for that. And it absolutely helped me, right? But do you know who it made a bigger impact upon? Some men and women who were running in front of me and behind me. Because the last three races that I've run in, it has not failed. They have come to me and said, who were all those people at that marathon? I said, well, that was, that was my wife's Sunday school class. Those signs were so cool. I, I, that, that was so awesome. You mean your church family did that? Yeah, that was my church family. See, I'm thankful for you. But here's the thing, right? I serve God first. But God has shown me to serve people. And in serving people, I don't have to have the attention. And I don't have to have the applause. Because I'm good with what God says. I'm good with what God says. Are you being transformed? That's my final question. Are you being transformed by God's grace through the renewing of your mind? Or... Are you being conformed because you're governed by the ways of the world? One of the two is happening. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I I don't care what kind of acts of service you got. One of two is happening. Christ follower or not, you're either being transformed by God's grace through the renewing of your mind or you're being conformed to the world by the world. A life sacrificed daily and a mind renewed daily. Paul says this is our true and proper worship. I did something for you. I'm going to close. This is going to be our invitation. I did something for you if you want it. Several years ago when I was preaching the book of Daniel, I made these little things that you could hang up in your car or put around your neck, you know, when you go to work or wherever. I made these little maggots, magnets. You can slap on your refrigerator or slap them on anything. And uh, it said resolved. I will, not defile my, you know, I will not defile myself with the ways of the world. And so what I did was I made some new ones. And maybe you want to take these and hang them in your car, whatever. Maybe you want to put them in your house. It says set your mind. And it's got two passages, Daniel chapter 10 verse 12 and Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 where it clearly says set your mind. It's a daily reminder, right? I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded every day, right? Every day I need to be reminded. So I've got one of these in my office on my refrigerator because I drink like 10 bottles of water a day. So every time I go to open it up, that, it sets your mind. Set your mind. I, 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 I'm hanging one of these in my truck because I get in my truck every day and I drive a lot. And guess what's going to be right in front of me all day? Set your mind. But you know what else I'm going to do? When God leads me to do it, I'm going to take this thing off 
and I'm going to give it to somebody else. And I'm going to say, try this. Try this. Try this, Miss Ruth. You know? Try this, Monty. Try that. See what happens. See what God does. See, I already know. I want somebody else to know. So I've got some on the altars up here. I've got some in the back. I've got more up here on this front pew. If you want to grab one of these, grab one. You might want to grab it during the invitation. You might want to grab it on the way out. You know what? You might want to pray before you grab it. Because this ain't no game. This ain't some little trinket, some little pretty little thing. No, you'll look at it and see it's very plain. It's very simple. But it's very powerful. You want to know why? Because it's the Word of God. Set your mind on things above, not things below. You will either live or you will die. Thank God for Jesus. I'm going to live fully right now and eternally forever. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done.